0: And we begin there, in 2 Chronicles 18, verse 28. Hear the word of the Lord. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, saying, Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. For so it was when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, And the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot, facing the Syrians until evening. And about the time of sunset, he died. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious heavenly Father, as we continue to be blessed through your word, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will continue to grow us in the knowledge of our faith. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Out of all the curious things that have taken place in this portion of God's Word, one of the more curious things happens at the very beginning of this passage. It seems as if you would always want to be seen as the king. What's the point in being a king if nobody knows you're the king? Think of all the benefits that come with being a king. Not only the stature and the honor and the way that people look at you. There's also, of course, um, uh, especially you think of in battle at that time, uh, who would have had the better armor? Would you have put uh, the same armor on a uh, run-of-the-mill uh, front-line troop as you would have on the king himself? Of course, the answer to that is pretty obvious. Of course, you'd put the best army you had on the king. And of course, the reason why we see laid out pretty clearly here, because it was the attitude of the Assyrians who had come to fight against Israel, that if they could get to the king and kill him, then all of the battle would collapse. You know, it's almost as if you know when I was a, a, a young uh, uh, a young man, I'm really in junior high school. You know, we had chickens, and one of the things you had to make sure when you it came time to slaughter the chickens was is that you better have a firm grip on that chicken because as soon as you uh, take care of the part above the neck, you know, it's going to want to move around. Well, it's somewhat the same way in battle in these days. If you could kill the king, then the rest of the army would, would, would scatter. And there would be nobody for them to look to, to, to see at the head of the line, to rally towards. And they would know that the battle was lost. And so this was a pretty common uh, effect of battle in those days. In, in fact, if, if you go back to Second Kings chapter 3, when uh, the king of Moab, Uh, was uh, fighting the king of Edom, we hear that and when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. You see, it was a kind of a last-ditch effort of uh, the Moabites to win the battle. If they could just kill the king of Edom, then they could triumph. But as we hear, they were unable to do so, and the Moabites uh, fell that day. And so likewise, in this passage, the the hope is that if the Syrians can break through, then they can win the battle at Ramoth Gilead. But Ahab, again, does something very strange. Ahab doesn't want to be seen as the king. He wants Jehoshaphat to be the king. You think about the reasoning behind this. Why in the world uh, would Ahab do this? Well, remember, through this whole chapter, he's been kind of boosting Jehoshaphat. He's been been flattering Jehoshaphat. He had a a giant feast for him uh, at the beginning of chapter 18 that had moved Jehoshaphat to break the law of the Lord and marry off his son uh, to the daughter of Ahab. And we heard uh, in the last several weeks, says Micaiah has come in, that Ahab has been trying to uh, talk up victory to Jehoshaphat. You know, all the prophets of uh, the land had promised success to Jehoshaphat. But Micaiah, of course, had told him the truth. Uh, that in the days to come, that the, the mountains would be full of the dead of Israel and of Judah. And that ultimately, Ahab himself would be killed. But of course, nobody wanted to listen to Micaiah. But you notice something about Ahab. Ahab had heard all of these things as well. And Ahab is trying to kind of hedge his bets here. He thinks that, well, if I get Jehoshaphat out front, they'll kill him and they won't kill me. You know, if I, if I push Josvat out as the king, then all of the Assyrian army is going to go and attack him and destroy him. And I will get away without a scratch. Of course, the, the, the nature of what happens here really shouldn't be a surprise to us. Because what we see happening in 2 Chronicles 18, 28-34 is often the fight that we see go on with sin. We, we have a tendency to convince ourselves that, well, if, if I do it either in secret or if I kind of do it in the midst of a crowd, uh, then God will not notice. You know, as long as I'm hiding myself, uh, then no one will see me. Yet what do we see happen in this passage to Ahab? We see Ahab as he's hiding in the midst of the men. Uh, it tells us uh, that a random individual from the land of Syria, drew his bow you know, at random, and the arrow hit perfectly in the midst of the joints of the armor of Ahab. Now again, we don't believe in randomness. We don't believe that anything happens um, in happenstance. We don't believe anything happens uh, by coincidence. We trust in a sovereign God who has ordained all things from the foundation of the world to bring glory unto Himself. We also are told over and over again in the Scriptures that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And we're also told that no man will be able to hide from the Lord God in the day of judgment. And what we see in 2 Chronicles 18 is a perfect Picture of what this looks like. Again, Ahab had tried to confuse and to uh, build up Jehoshaphat in order to save himself. Yet what do we see happen? We see Ahab uh, is kind of hoisted on his own petard. His foot is caught in his own trap. And this takes place because again of who Ahab is. He has spent his life trying to fool the Lord. He has spent his life uh, regaling himself in sin and in wickedness and all numbers of evil. And Micaiah, who had told him this was going to happen, is proved right once again. All the false prophets who had had promised to him the opposite are going to be shown to be liars in themselves. And as we consider this, this is also worthwhile uh, to remember uh, that this is exactly what happens in our own culture in this day. Nobody wants to listen to Micaiah. Everybody wants to listen to the false prophets of this day who tell everyone that everything's going to be okay as long as you follow the dictates of your heart. That everything is going to be okay as long as you find fulfillment in whatever it is that you would like to do. The Micaiahs of this age who warn the culture that as long as they seek uh, the pleasures of the flesh, that trial and tribulation will follow and are ignored or shouted down or outright killed in other nations. What we see in this passage, again, is a reminder that no matter how smart we may think we are, the Lord God knows the score. The Lord God knows all things and He sees all things and will bring judgment down on those who attempt to live in the way that the world would have us to live. And it's interesting that because Ahab had tried to outwit Jehoshaphat here, he was left vulnerable to this random arrow that had been shot by this random soldier of Assyria. And we see again the nature of how these things take place. We are reminded of what the Lord our God says to the Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 4. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Likewise, we hear the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 12 say, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms would be proclaimed on the housetops. And these words are are things that we're familiar with. We we know these things are true, right? We we know that God sees all things, right? We're, We're not like the world outside who denies that God exists or that God even cares what happens in this world, right? We have been taught. Especially our covenant children and those of you who have been raised in the church, you've been taught from the time you were a small child that this is the case. That the Lord God sees all things and knows all things and will bring his judgment down upon unrepentant sin. But yet, what do we see in the church today? We see a church that lives like Ahab lives. We see a church that not only allows sin, but tries to hide sin. And we see again the consequences of this in our culture all around us. Any study that you want to find on Google or anywhere will show you that you know, the instances of sexual sin is just as bad in the church as it is in the world. You know, all of the things that, that, that we see happening on the news and in uh, the newspapers, for those of you who still uh, read them, all of these things, you know, we see this stuff and we rightly condemn it. We rightly say that this is outside the law of the Lord. This is outside of what God has intended for His people. And again, remember what the Lord Jesus says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In this passage in Luke 12 that I just read was, was given to them. A reminder that no matter how righteous they are on the outside, no matter how righteous they proclaim to the world that they are, that the Lord knows the heart. That the Lord knows the reality of the situation. And as long as, as we try to, to massage these things... Again, the worst that it's going to be. And Israel and Judah both are are, are given to us in God's providence as a reminder of these things. And of course, Israel and Judah were supposed to learn from the previous generations where these things took place. And one of the the most pertinent examples of this happens in the 7th chapter of the book of Joshua. You remember in Joshua that God had brought His people over the river Jordan and had brought them into the land of promise and was engaging with them as they destroyed the enemies of God in the land. But there was a little hiccup at the town of Ai. There was multiple things going on, but one of the central reasons that we see uh, this uh, trial happen at Ai is because of the sin of Achan. Now remember, Achan had thought it no big deal if he took a little for himself. Right? If if he took a, a little of the bounty of the cities that they had destroyed for himself and he hid it in his tent... Remember how they traveled back in those days and how the Bedouins still travel in uh, the uh, Middle East and in the Sahara. You know, they, they carry these giant carpets with them and then they put the tent over the carpet and you go inside one of these Bedouin tents and it's almost like you know being inside someone's house. You know, There's furniture and you almost forget that you're in the middle of the desert. Well, being the wise man that he was, what did Akin do with this booty that he had stolen? Well, he hid it underneath of the carpet. He'd kind of stump it down, down into the, into the sand. Didn't think anybody would notice or anybody would care that this was going on. But what are we told happens in Joshua 7? We're told that God allowed the people of Israel to not only be killed at Ai, but allowed for there to be a vengeance drawn down upon them. All because of the sin of this one man. This one man who didn't think it was a big deal, didn't care uh, that anyone, or didn't think that anyone would notice, or even if they found out, it wouldn't be a big deal. But it's a keen reminder that the Lord our God takes sin very seriously. And that the Lord our God will not allow flourishing where sin is countenanced. It's so one of the reasons why we we hear there in Second Chronicles chapter seven that that that, that verse that, that that everyone knows real well, you know, Second Chronicles seven fourteen, right? What has to happen in the land before God will bring a blessing unto it? Well, there has to be repentance in the land, right? There has to be cleansing in the land. There has to be a returning away from idols, away from sin, away from wickedness. And a whole nation which turns itself back unto the Lord. Again, think about that for a moment. What are nations made up of? Nations are made up of people. There's no nation on earth that is some conglomerate of uh, one individual. Nations are involved with, with individual members within the nation. If we, if we want to see revival and reformation, and if we want to see the growth of the church, either here at Bethany or within our nation, what is required of us? What's required of us is that we repent before the Lord. What's required of us is that we take the holiness of the Lord seriously. Not because we're afraid of the Lord, but because of the promise that we see in the Scriptures. That the Lord will bless His people who come to Him in righteousness. Who come to Him with true repentant hearts. Who come to Him and see the reality of the world and see the fallenness of the world and see uh, the wickedness of the world and want to have no part of what's going on out there. Not because we are like Pharisees who think it's icky and gross and things. But because we see sin how God sees sin. Because we understand what it was required of God in order that we would be saved from our own sin. Again, think of the nature once more of the cross. Again, we see in the cross God giving up of Himself that we would be washed in His blood. Again, this is how serious the Lord God took not only the, the, the sin of Adam, but the individual sins that we all commit. Again, we have to come before the Lord in seriousness in these things. And again, there's something else that happens in this passage that's important to remember. Remember. What do we see out of Jehoshaphat in the midst of all of this attempt of Ahab to hide his sin and to hide from the judgment of God and to put that sin off of Jehoshaphat hoping that God destroys him instead? We see Jehoshaphat uh, kind of coming to his senses in a lot of ways. 2 Chronicles 18, uh, verse uh, 21, we hear as the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they surrounded him to attack. Now, imagine this scene for a moment. Here's Jehoshaphat, arrayed in all his beautiful clothes. You can almost see Jehoshaphat standing up in his chariot on his tippy toes, wanting everyone to see how arrayed he was. Yet we see what happens in battle, is that the Assyrians figure out who he is really fast, and they surround him in battle. Now, again, there's a whole war going on around him, but Jehoshaphat is at the center of a bunch of Syrian troops. And the Syrian troops are getting ready to do what? They're getting ready to launch an all out assault on him. And what do you think is going to happen to Jehoshaphat in a matter of seconds in this passage? His body is going to be riddled with arrows. Men are going to come up and, and, and stab him with their swords. They are going to take pieces of his clothing. They are going to rip him naked. They are going to lay him out in the midst of this field. Because everybody is going to want to have a little piece of Jehoshaphat that they can pass down to their children and, and tell these great stories about how I took down the king. This is the, the, this is the world of Jehoshaphat at this moment. And what do we see Jehoshaphat do? Jehoshaphat cried out. And he cries out and what happens? The Lord helps him. This is a beautiful testimony to the nature of repentance. Because how has Jehoshaphat acted up to this point? He, He began this chapter in gross, idolatrous sin by marrying his son off to a pagan, wicked young lady. And he had brought all Judah into that sin with him. He had continued in that sin as he refused to say anything to Ahab while the false prophets are blaspheming the Lord God. He had sat there quietly while Micaiah was beaten and Micaiah was imprisoned and Micaiah was thrown into the depths of the dungeon. And what do we see Him do here in 2 Chronicles 18, verse 31? We see the mercy of God in full effect. We see the love of God. We see the work of the Holy Spirit in the life and in the heart of Jehoshaphat as He cries out unto the Lord. And the Lord hears Him. And the Lord helps Him. And God diverts the Syrians from Him. But again, what had to happen to get to this point in the story? Joshua isn't saved by God because he happens to be the king of Judah. He's not saved by God because God uh, just kind of sees him and says, Well, it's not your time. What we see in this passage is what's necessary for all Christian believers, what's necessary for all those caught up into sin. What's necessary for all those who don't think the Lord can see them in their sin. What we see here, again, is what the Lord God has done for each and every one of us. Again, no soul in this house today came to faith just because of it, just because they felt like that was the, the thing they needed to do. They came to faith through the power of the Holy Spirit came to faith because they understood that there was nowhere else to turn. That there was no help from the things of this world. No help from the culture. No help from those who would seek to destroy you. Again, when we're at the the very end of our rope, when we're at the depths of the darkness, we see, again, the Lord God call out unto Jehoshaphat. And we see Jehoshaphat turn his eyes unto the Lord. This is, you can almost hear Jehoshaphat saying the words of David in Psalm 143 Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is within me, is distressed. And this is Jehoshaphat in this passage. He's in distress. That's kind of putting it lightly. But calling unto the Lord, we see the Lord answer his prayer. We see as he repents of his sin before the Lord, we see a God coming down and diverting the enemies away from him. And in this call that we see here in 2 Chronicles 18 is available for all of us. And if you are living in unrepentant sin, if you are hiding things from the world, or or if you are, are being quiet as sin is going on around you, again, these things that we see Jehoshaphat dealing with, again, the answer is here. It is clear in the Scriptures. Repent and turn unto the Lord. And know what we see in this passage. That the Lord God will hear your prayers. The Lord God will hear your tears of repentance. The Lord God will divert from you uh, these things. When we hear the Lord Jesus Christ as He opens His public ministry in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, what is His message to the world? Repent and believe in Me. And we think about what that means. What is repentance? Repentance is turning away. And it's not just turning away so that we can turn back to sin. Repentance is turning away from darkness, turning away from wickedness, turning away from the violations of God's law and going in a different direction. Heading out to the kingdom. Heading out to the glorious city that God has made. Again, this is the power of what we see in this passage. And again, this power has been given to all of God's people and to all those who turn away from sin and rest in the righteousness that the Lord Jesus has given to us by His death and by His resurrection. And remember what David says in Psalm 143, Do not enter into judgment, a servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. Again, we're not righteous because of where our parents are. We're not righteous because of where we go to church. We're not righteous because of where we live. Again, all of us are dead in sin, the Scriptures tell us. All of us are in enmity against God. All of us are born in sin. And the only answer for that is the Lord Jesus And think of that verse that, that we all know so well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And this gift is available for you today. This gift is available for all those who place their faith and trust in Christ. And as we close this morning, And let us again hear once more what the Word of God says of these things. As we hear the Lord God speaking through Solomon in Proverbs 19, for there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. And so brothers and sisters, as we go from this place this morning, let us remember that there are consequences to sin. There's consequences to encouraging sin. That there are consequences for ignoring sin. As we see here with Jehoshaphat, this, this sin that we see around us and that is, that is native to our own hearts and native to the world around us, can has only one answer. And that's the Lord's plan and that's the Lord's purpose. And the Lord's counsel was that His Son would die for sin. It was the Lord's counsel that His Son would be raised from the dead. And it is the Lord's counsel that all of us who bear the name which is above every name shall go into the heavenly places for all of eternity raising up uh, the great name of Jehovah, the God who saves His people and who gives us the peace and the comfort of His presence, of His truth, And of his peace. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father we give thanks again that you are the.